episode of Chatty Broads with Becca and Jess. Well, hello, Broads. How hello, are you doing good morning. On, on this fine Thursday? How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Okay, so this is what I realized the other day. What? We were on a roll for a while having podcasts talking about relationships and sex, and we haven't had one for a hot minute. No, what have we been talking about lately? Just the Bachelor, the end of the world. Yeah, just a lot of that. <laughs> the pandemic and a lot of Bachelor. A lot of psychics. <laughs> a lot of psychics trying to help us process through the this pandemic. Is the mood right now. It's the big mood. We don't uh, have any time for love or sex. It's the end of the world. But it's just oh so important. And I was thinking the other day, I was like, you know, I realized so many of our guests and so many of my favorite of our guests later after we have them on the podcast and I'm talking with them, I find out that a lot of them are in open relationships oh. or in non-monogamous relationships. Yeah, we've had we've had a few. Yeah. On that I can think of off the top of my head that and we I didn't get even, into on the podcast. Even more like as I'm like seeing via social media and I'm like, mm. this is something we need to talk about. And you and I have talked a little bit about open in general, but something that we really haven't gotten into is polyamory. Mm. And so I'm like, who I know we've always like good been on the surface level of we like brought it up with certain guests and stuff just we've never really gone into never it. got up got into it so i'm like we, we need to definitely dive into this yes so we need an expert in the field which is why we are joined today by kevin patterson hello, hello. <laughs> welcome it's so good to see you and i discovered you actually via um one of my favorite instagram accounts and this person was starting yeah. to read your book love is not colorblind and nice. i got the book and i just started reading it recently it's fantastic i'm like we have to contact kevin i'm glad you like it for real <clears throat> okay why don't you start out just why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself who are you you know where are you located your life story in um, two minutes go for it um, okay so um I'm uh, I'm originally from North Jersey. I'm a Jersey boy, uh, but I've been living in the Philadelphia area for about 17 years now. Uh, I am part of the local polyamory community. Um, I, my wife and I stumbled into non-monogamy, like maybe like six months into our relationship. And once we found our, once we found ourselves there, we just sort of stayed there. Um, after, figuring out sort of what our relationships uh, really wanted to look like. We, we like after finding ourselves in community, after finding out what we wanted our relationships to really look like, I started speaking in at, uh, academic circles and like sex ed circles. And that led me to starting the, the blog uh, poly role models, which is an interview series for people to express their real experiences with polyamory and how there's, personal identities impact with their polyamorous lives and then writing the book uh, loves not colorblind race and representation in polyamorous and other alternative communities uh, which is basically a, a rundown on how polyamory and race uh, intersect on like an individual community and then organizational level wow and then also i've been writing queer polyamorous superhero novels uh myself and my friend alana phelan who goes online by the by the name the polyamorous librarian um she's super she's super into like uh into uh prose fiction and i'm super into just like random geek shit so we decided <laughs> to get together and write some write some novels and we're getting ready to release our third one this year 
Wow. That's so cool. Okay. Do you mind me asking how, like, how long ago was it when you and your wife first got together? And what do you mean when you say you stumbled into into non-monogamy? Um, so we, we've been together 18 years, wow. um, almost 19 and a few months into our relationship, we are getting ready to go on a road trip to our Carabana, a big Caribbean festival that they have up in Toronto every year. And we were going with some friends and I kind of cracked the joke saying like, you know, a lot of sexually active young people on this trip, a lot of drinking and smoking and partying, something crazy might happen. And we ended up bumping into a threesome, like, you know, an unplanned threesome. And afterwards instead of it like ruining the relationship like i was sure it was gonna Mm. do instead it sparked a whole lot of conversations about what we wanted our relationships to look like where if we were monogamous or at least at the time when we assumed ourselves to be monogamous we didn't really have a lot of conversations about the direction of the relationship because with like monogamy has so much modeling modeling from our parents Mm. modeling from media modeling from every relationship book ever written that we didn't really feel like we needed to have conversations about what our relationship was or wasn't. Mm. But then once we found ourselves outside of monogamy, we had to have like real conversations Mm. about exclusivity, what to do in the event of cheating, what to do if you fall in love with someone who isn't me, you know, like we had to figure it out. And, um, that was 18 years ago and it's been a hell of a ride ever since. Wow. And I imagine there was much, uh, um, much fewer, many fewer, I don't know how to, which word he is, <laughs> resources about 20 years ago than there are now. Because now with Instagram and just the online world being what it is now, I'm sure there was so, there was, there's less of a guide to how, to how to do it. Yeah. And the representation, the representation is so slim that mm-hmm. like my, my blog, Poly Role Models, and I haven't, I haven't actually it as an active as an active interview series in almost a year and a half and it still ends up being like one of the more inclusive uh resources for polyamory simply because most resources just did not exist hmm. and representation wise it's really easy to count yourself out where most depictions of any type of like ethical non-monogamy consensual non-monogamy is like it's made by monogamous folks and the the moral of the story ends up being this will destroy your monogamous relationship. Right. Uh, so like, if you're somebody who's like, you know what, I, I, I have an attraction to two different people and I don't want to be dishonest about that. There weren't any resources that told you this is fine. Go with, you know, go with where your heart is going. So a few of us have, a few of us have books out. A few of us have blogs out and we're all just sort of blazing our own trails here because there's so little that gives you validation. Yeah. People like monogamous folks screw up their relationships all the time. Like, like, well, you look at the divorce rate. I mean, <laughs> it's not like it's squeaky clean. Great. If you're monogamous, you have at most one relationship that works and every other relationship that fails. <laughs> and, very few people are like, God, this monogamy thing isn't working for me. I'm just going to stop doing this. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, if you're polyamorous. You can have like one bad breakup and think maybe I shouldn't do this ever again. And we wanted to make sure at least like with, with me and like, and others, we wanted to make sure that um, you could find people who were imperfect people who didn't have relationships that were all magical and perfect all of the time. 
you know, like successful yet imperfect. Like I've had some really bad breakups and I've had some really incredible relationships and like the good outweighs the bad Mm -hmm. every single time, but not everybody's going to get to that point where they see the good for what it is. They're just going to experience the bad and leave forever. Yeah. And what you say, uh, what you said about the, you you might have one successful relationship. If you don't ever find that monogamous relationship that works and that lasts a long time, I think a lot of people can find themselves asking, what is wrong with me? Mm. Well, you know, what's my problem? Why can't, why isn't this working? Why, you know, and, uh, and also we always get a lot of questions from listeners of like, I'm in a relationship, but I'm attracted to this person. Like, Am I, is that fucked up? Is there something, you know? And so I think that so many people feel ashamed for what may be just natural feelings for them. And it's such a shame because what you just described, we normalize that in every other aspect of our lives. Hmm. No one's ever, no one's ever said, I've got four friends. What's wrong with me? You know, no one's ever said, I, I have two or three kids and like, I love this one. I love all of my kids for different reasons, but mm. then they don't understand what that, when that's like a, a romantic thing, you wow, know? Good point, yeah. I've got partners. I've got so many different partners who I love for so many different reasons, you know, just for who they are and for what they bring out of me. And we're the same way with our friends. We're the same way with our family. We're the same thing, same way with the food that we eat, you know, but mm-hmm. We treat we treat it like it's this strange and foreign concept when it comes to like romantic and like sexual relationships, and it really doesn't have to be. So, where does that stem? Is it does it stem from Judeo Christian values, or maybe the you know the uh, sexism and misogyny that comes with certain religions that include you know polygamous relationships where it's only one sided? Where do you think that this sort of uh, shame and fear of non monogamy stems from? There's a, there's a really good book about, uh, there's a really book, a good book about sort of the origins of, and um, it's called Sex at Dawn by Casilda Jetha and Christopher Ryan. And it breaks down a lot of sort of like the anthropological reasons. And a lot of it comes back to like the event of agriculture. Like when we were hunters and gatherers, we were hunting and gathering for a clan and we had to like have like tribalism in group in group situations. But once we invented agriculture, if I tell this land, this is my land mm. and I've got to pass this down to my son. Mm. To, that's his land. And next thing you know, you've got daughters who go from the ownership of a father to the ownership of a husband, which is why, you know, we've got women taking last names and everything became territorial and um, monocentric after that. Interesting. Grant, there's like I said, there's a whole book about it. I'm giving you like the cliff notes that I remember. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. I remember I I remember reading about something similar about how the institution of marriage and kind of how we view marriage now stemmed from the agricultural state in the eighteen hundreds or whatever that we that we formed. So yeah, it's all uh, what's it called? It's all individual and it's all ownership based, ownership and patriarchy based. Hmm. Wow, yeah, it's so interesting when you're talking about even just the when you're using the example of children. I'm thinking about you know obviously being raised. I was raised in a home that believes in strict monogamy and just this concept of you know you're not like that. You'll find someone who's going to complete you. And yeah. just this idea that I'm like, how can how can I be completed by like by one individual? And you're always seeking that out. Obviously, I, you know, for myself, I'm like, okay, I need to find that in, in who I am. But as far as trying to find one partner who's going to meet 
all my needs always. Like it's just you're just asking for for a problematic situation. Yeah. Like people don't people don't really discuss it because it's taboo and weird to yeah. discuss. But like monogamy is not an easy thing, and like it's not an easy thing, and it's not really a reasonable ask of anybody. Don't get me wrong; I'm not telling anybody that monogamy is invalid or anything like that. But like we don't really talk about the difficulties therein. Something simple like. I like playing video games. I would love if my wife picked up the controller and played video games with me, but she's not that person. So like if I spent my whole life waiting for someone to game with me, I just, I just my, you know, that wouldn't be it. I'd have to accept that my wife isn't that person. And then I'd have to not have my needs met. But what if your need is something a little bit more crucial to who you are? Mm-hmm. You know, what if you need somebody to have like a, to be a workout partner? What if you need someone who has a compatible sex drive, who just for whatever reason does not, is that just, you, you just cut that part of your soul out and leave it behind. Mm-hmm. Maybe you do. But that's not an easy thing. And we should acknowledge that it's not an easy thing. Well, yeah, I think that I think that um, relationships are tied in so much with this idea of sacrifice. And we hear it a lot. We, we cover we do bachelor recaps all the time. And we always hear people talking about on The Bachelor, like, you know, uh, when you get married or whatever, like you give up a part of yourself and that's like part of what makes it so special. It's like, oh God, you guys are not really selling this whole thing. It doesn't really, doesn't really sound so fun, you know, but I mean, and again, like you were saying, we are both in monogamous relationships as of right now, but, <laughs> but this idea of like sacrifice and giving up a part of yourself for this other person is like the, the root of it. If that's just what you're looking at is kind of, not yeah it's not it's not great i don't know what the purpose of it is like if somebody feels like that is a good and virtuous thing to do it is not my place to tell them otherwise i don't feel like that's a good and virtuous thing for me to do mm-hmm. and, like i think about like where i am in my life right now where like so i've got a i've got a master's in education i have a master's in education because my wife is super academic and it felt right to like sort of uh follow her lead in terms of like continuing my education further than i mm. naturally would have cool I wrote a book called Love's Not Colorblind. If it wasn't for a partner who was in the same kind of like sex ed spaces, if she didn't say like, hey, Kev, I hear you talking about your polyamory a lot. Maybe you should be speaking in educational spaces. Maybe you should be writing some of this stuff down. I wouldn't be doing that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. You know, like these are there are so many authentic parts of myself that would have gone untapped if I didn't have somebody in my life to inspire me in one way or another. You know, um, I was, um, I was doing like, I was a, a couple of years ago before I started writing books, I was marathon running. And like, I've got so many people in my life who saw me doing that and said, wow, you know what? Maybe I want to do that. Maybe I want to do a tough mother or a Spartan race. Maybe I just want to exercise a little bit more. Like, cool. If you seeing me doing my thing inspires you to do your thing. Awesome. Just having somebody around, somebody close, somebody intimate to inspire different aspects of your life. That's magical to me. And that's not something I'd ever want to give up. But for some people, they're like, well, that's just something I used to do when I was in my twenties. I have a passion for it, but my marriage doesn't allow for it. So mm. I guess this is a part of me that's going to wither and die. No big deal. That's great. Right. Mm. I, don't, you know, I disagree, but I, it's not my place to tell somebody else that it's not, it doesn't work for them. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. So maybe could you define for us sort of what is polyamory and like, is 
polyamory a subset of non-monogamy and are there other different subsets or the other way around? If you could kind of break all that down for us, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. Um, so polyamory, uh, basically put, is the the state of the willingness to the practice of being in multiple uh, being in multiple loving relationships with the knowledge and consent of everybody uh, involved. There are some people who do that where it's not really loving relationships. It's more like we're just banging and like mm-hmm. that's swinging, and that's also a valid thing. You know, um, some people practice. Uh, polygamy, which is multiple marriages. A lot of that's based in in religion and patriarchy. Some of it isn't, but a lot of it is. Mm-hmm. And like these are all sort of under the umbrella of consensual non-monogamy, whereas cheating would be non-consensual non-monogamy. Uh, and even polyamory can be broken down into um, into different forms. Like there are people who who are practice closed polyamory, where it's it could be like three people together. And we're not dating anybody outside of those three. Okay. You know, it could be open where we are able to date other people outside of like whatever little barrier we've we've got set up. Some people practice solo polyamory in that they're not looking to be specifically partnered. They're not looking to uh, nest with a specific partner, but Mm -hmm. they are in multiple open and loving relationships. Uh, The way I practice is called relationship anarchy and the way I usually describe it is when I meet somebody, whoever we are to one another, like logistically, romantically, sexually, socially, um, that's what our relationship is. Like, I don't ask anybody to, to relate to me in a way that makes sense to me. It's just, you know, it's like that Venn diagram. This is you. This is me. And wherever that sweet spot is, mm-hmm. that's what our relationship is. Like, I'm not going to say like, hey, I'm looking for a girlfriend. I meet somebody and if that's where they fit, cool. And if they fit somewhere else, also cool. Hmm. And is your wife, is it, do people ever have different forms of, of um, non-monogamous relationships, like in the same pairing? I don't know if that makes sense. Like, I don't know if you know any couples where one person practices in a different way than maybe their partner does. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that happens. And like, and, even th- there are there are polyamorous people who are in relationships with monogamous people, and sometimes that's just that's just how it rolls. Not everybody's gonna relate the same way, but as long as they're relating to each other in a way that makes sense to them, as long as they're relating to each other and they're on the same page, then it, it's all valid. You sort of customize it as you go. Mm, that's really interesting. That is interesting. When when your wife and you started to practice. What was it like? I'm assuming you're going to be dealing with a stigma by people thinking like, oh, it's cheating. It's, you know, I, I I was telling Becca earlier, I ended up getting in. My husband and I got into a conversation with my mother yesterday. It was more of a fight, but yes, <laughs> it is. And we were trying to explain to her ethical non-monogamy. And, you know, she was very much just like, can't understand it. It's wrong because it's, you know, how, how what was it like dealing with that? Um, and, and that's the funny thing about it. It's like I was saying before, like if you've got different friends in your life and you got like that, that, that friend you go to the party with or, or that friend that you go to like, you know, to the winery with and you love them both, but for different reasons, you already understand how polyamory works. <laughs> yeah. But um, for, for us, when we first got into it, like we weren't aware of resources. We weren't aware of communities. We weren't aware of like conferences or anything like that. So we were just sort of getting in where we could fit in where a, a lot of my first partners um, 
we're just sort of monogamous people in holding patterns mm. where it's like, all right, well, I can't, you know, like, um, you know, like there was people who they weren't currently in a relationship and they could get a good relationship out of me until they found the one, you know? Uh-huh. And there's only so many times you can hear, Kev, I'm starting to like you. I'm starting to love you. I really need to get out of this relationship now before I start falling for you too much. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only so many times you could hear, I need to I need to break up with you to go find a single monogamous version of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so after that, like once we started finding community, once we started like learning the terms and like meeting people who were actively non-monogamous, we stopped dating monogamous people. And all that stigma and weirdness, all of that went away. Mm. Um, I, I I met somebody and I was dating. I was I met this woman and she had four partners, four or five partners, two grad school majors, two um, two jobs, and <laughs> she was super busy. But like, I ended up going to a a party of hers with my wife, and I'm hanging out with her boyfriend, like the the guy she like actively lived with. And she and he was like, "Look, I really like the the the, the dynamic the two of you have. She's always, she's got she's so busy. She's always super stressed, but she comes home from dates with you feeling super chill, super relaxed. I rarely ever see her that way. I like what you two have going on. And then he like gives me a hug, and I'm like, you know what? This is what I want now. Wow. I want to be able to interact with my partner's partners. I want to be able to interact with." Um, like I want to be able to have a barbecue and have my people there and my wife people and so on and so forth with all of us understanding what's going on, all of us being chill about it. And that's what my, and like at that point I was like, I'm not dating any, uh, I'm not dating any monogamous people ever again. Like, I'm not going to like just get in where I fit in. I want relationships where we can, where the people determining it are the two people in it and not like a structure, not a society, just us. Yeah. So life can get chaotic. There's no doubt about that. Between juggling work and home life, plus kiddos, if you have any, wouldn't it be so nice if there was just one thing on your to-do list that was easy to do from your own computer, even convenient, getting delivered right to your front door, saved you money on things you would be buying anyways? Well, broads, Let's talk about Thrive Market. Let's talk about it. Thrive Market's an online membership-based market, and they're on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. I love Thrive Market. If you've never checked them out before, I seriously suggest going to their site because they have so much to offer from wholesome food and snacks to home and beauty products. I love getting clean beauty products from Thrive. Safe supplements, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, and so much more. And after I started my Thrive Market membership, I honestly hardly ever find myself making grocery store runs, which, let's be honest, no one really loves doing in the first place, much less right now. Um, And on top of not wanting to go to the grocery store, I was actually shocked by the amount of money you save as a member on high quality, clean products that I would sometimes honestly avoid getting, but I'd want from other grocery stores, but they were expensive. And now through Thrive Market, Thrive Market, I can purchase them. I 
will never get over the price difference with these well-known brands that you can get through Thrive. It blows my mind. Um, and I won't lie, I spend most of my time on Thrive Market browsing the snack section, which I would say is for my daughter, but let's be real, I am eating all of those Justin's dark chocolate peanut butter cups myself. Um, if you're a snack lover like me, Thrive Market definitely has you covered there. Plus, if you have a family member with specific dietary restrictions or allergies, shopping has never been easier. You can easily shop by more than 70 different diets and values like gluten-free, vegan, fair trade, and so many others. They really make it so easy. Yeah. And also I love that they have carbon neutral shipping from their zero waste yes, warehouse. It's yes. a big deal. Uh, so go to thrivemarket.com slash chatty. And when you join today, you'll get a free gift of your choosing up to $22 in value. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash chatty. And you'll get to start your risk-free membership and get a free gift today. Thrivemarket.com slash chatty. Do you have, did you, was there a moment where you had to like come out to your family or friends about your relationship? Yeah. Like our friends mostly knew because like after that first, I mean, I'm, I'm a cis dude. And at the time I was identifying as, as straight. Um, so once that first threesome happened, I told all my homeboys, you know, <laughs> and so they already knew and their, their, their take was, this is going to ruin this relationship, but I hope you know what you're doing, Kev. 18 years later, they realized that I knew what I was doing. But <laughs> at some point, I started getting in relationships that it felt it felt disingenuous to hide. I, I started loving people who it it felt it was dishonest for me to pass people off as a friend. You know, mm-hmm. this is a friend of mine. This is a friend of the family. Like, no, this is my girlfriend who I love. This is my girlfriend who my kids hang out with. Mm-hmm. So I we had to come out because it was dishonest to, to not do so. Mm. And once we did that, like my wife's family was all like, all right, well, as long as it's something you can both do, as long as you're not ruining my grandbabies, as long as you mm. two are adults and you're both happy, fine. My family, not so much. My family, um, they, they were far more conservative about it than I anticipated. And it's been sort of strained ever since, but, my life is good and like my relationships are super happy right now. So if my family's not happy for me being happy, then I can just take a walk from them and, and find my status, you know, my life fulfillment elsewhere. Yeah. Right. And I would imagine you'd be like with your family, like, well, it's been 18 years. <laughs> so this is, things are working out. It hasn't just been one year here. Like it's been a while. Yeah. That whole, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing never works. And it's like, well, monogamy is the same way people people fall out of love people break up for any number of reasons or no reason at all mm-hmm. and nobody ever says like that monogamy thing doesn't work they only say that mm-hmm. about That's like so that the one polyamorous person that they know like oh well that person didn't you know didn't die married to the person they were polyamorous with that kind of thing never works like that's not how life works yeah i think you can make a pretty uh negative case study gathering up all the you know monogamous relationships you know and how they end you know over the course of 50 years it's not like there's a really high percentage rate of success and what is success you know I get sort of I think this is one great thing about um 
polyamory or non-monogamy is that I always see like on social media and stuff, people idolizing relationships when they last Mm -hmm. 40, 50, 60 years, like that it's an accomplishment in and of itself to stay with the same person for decades at a time, even if you're not happy with that person. Mm -hmm. And I always find that really interesting that we're always like, wow, these people have been together for 60 years instead of actually dissecting what kind of quality you know, what quality of life have these people shared with each other? Has there been like a high quality of their relationship throughout Mm -hmm. those 50 years, right? It's, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and meanwhile, like I've had relationships where I, I was with somebody, we were in love, we provided lots of value to one another. And then at some point, it just didn't work anymore. And we went on to be friends or we went on to just, just do other things with our lives. Mm-hmm. That's valuable as well. Like there's, there's no lack of success in being in a relationship, finding an incompatibility and then like, you know, parting, parting amicably Mm -hmm. if possible, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I agree. It's not like I regret some of my relationships that have ended just because they didn't keep going. No, not at all. In fact, I think that most people could definitively say like, was that maybe relationship end tough? Sure. But I learned this through it and they helped me with this. And that was good for that time in my life. And You know, like you were saying, when it comes to people idolizing length, even if they're not happy of a of a marriage, that's like when we were having this conversation with my mom yesterday (laughs) that it was like, God bless her, you know, but I was looking at her kind of like, mom, like you've had a few failed marriages Mm. like let's have let's I'm not saying that this is something for you but can we talk about how you know you're very definitive about like this could not work this is not and I'm like well the track record isn't great in my family so it's not like you know we have this I you know let me tell you about this you know I don't her she hasn't had a marriage for instance that has lasted 18 years Mm. yeah yeah and like and and nobody nobody really needs to Nobody should be held to that kind of standard. Like mm-hmm. it's not, it's not a reasonable ask if for no other reason, because people grow apart, people become, people change, you know, I'm, I'm not the same person that I was to my, with my wife 18 years mm-hmm. ago. Like our relationship now looks so different than it did so long ago. We're, we're just totally different people. But along the way, we find the things, aspects of our relationship that still work. And we keep doing those things, but the parts of the relationship that might have been magic back in the day that don't work today, that's not reason for us to to stop functioning. You know, mm-hmm. it's reason for us to find other people to 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 fill our needs if those are needs that need to be filled. Do you feel like non-monogamy requires more radical honesty and like more communication? It definitely, like definitely more communication. Like, um, I. I will say that every relationship mistake I've ever made has been a lapse in honesty and communication. Uh, Most of the relationship mistakes that have been done towards me have been lapses of uh, communication and honesty. Uh, But just having to keep so many balls in the air, so many uh, juggling, so many balls in the air, it requires being really honest about what's going on. It requires uh, talking all the time where, Mm a relationship that might seem great, you know, someone might just say like, Hey, Kev, I've got a concern. Can we talk about it? And now we're talking like the common misconception about polyamory is that it's like a sex fest or something like that. Mm-hmm. When really a lot of us are too tired from communicating and processing. <laughs> all the time. 
to actually get it in, you know? <laughs> I was wondering about this. How do you juggle time for multiple partners? Like just on a practical level, I feel sometimes, especially having kids, how do I make time enough for myself and my interests and my career and my partner, much less involving, you know, other partnerships? How do you juggle that? Google Calendar is, is a <laughs> I mean, the, the shared calendars function on Google Calendar is, is so crucial. Um, like, there was a point where I was sharing, I was sharing calendars with, like, three different partners. And so, and, like, the separate calendar for, like, everything that my kids had to do. So, whenever I'd open up the app, it would look like a bowl of Fruit Loops because, like, just colors, colors all over the place. Um, like, right. I share calendars with two partners, my wife included, and and have a separate calendar for my kids. And just keeping things lined up is really useful. Like modern modern problems require modern solutions. Yeah. <laughs> wow, just the organization. I, I just know. need to tap into that. That's for sure. <laughs> I know. Maybe I need to start doing that just with my partner. Like, look, this, these are our time slots, bud. Pick yeah. one and let's let's connect. And that's something that that's something I say all the time where like monogamy is valid. Polyamory is valid, but we can all learn stuff from one another. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of monogamy that just ends up being sort of default setting. Since we have so much modeling, mm -hmm. there are people who approach their relationships as a default setting. But if they got into the kind of communication that polyamory thrives on or the kind of emotional literacy that polyamory thrives on, even monogamous relationships could benefit from that. Yeah. Or the intentionality that it's required, mm -hmm. you know, like you're talking about scheduling out. Like, I think that is something that I could definitely learn from about being more intentional with the time that I'm taking with the with the person that I love. Yeah, same. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm lucky in that my wife and I are a really good team and that we'll look at the calendar. If somebody's like, hey, Kev, you want to go do this thing on Tuesday? I look at the calendar. If Tuesday's free, I can schedule it. If Tuesday, if my wife is in that slot on Tuesday, then either... Either any partner who wants to see me has to come home because I'm home with the kids or I've got to schedule some sort of babysitting so that me and my wife can both be out doing the thing. And that's just sort of how it, how we manage it. Somebody's home with the kids. Somebody's out doing whatever they're trying to do. And then if we want to spend time together, if we both want to go out and do other things. We have to figure out uh, child care. Hmm. Can I ask about jealousy? Because obviously especially from a monogamous, a monogamous standpoint, I'm sure that's always one of the, the hot things. It's just like, how are you just not so jealous? When you yeah. and your wife had your first experience, was that something that you, that you or her felt? Or was it like, oh, we didn't feel this and this is kind of just naturally working? Yeah, did it take unlearning? Were there, were there times where you did, either of you struggled with jealousy? If any if any if any person polyamorous or otherwise tells you they never feel jealousy, like burn them at the stake. <laughs> um, like for me, it it wasn't during our it, like for me it wasn't during our first few encounters. Um, for my wife either, since uh, our, our the third party in that in that opening threesome was a good friend of hers. Um, I know for me, it was when she started dating other dudes mm -hmm. and I told myself like, well, I can't tell her not to do that because of my own like toxic masculinity based fear of other penises. You know, mm -hmm. I can't tell her not to do that. So I'm going to see how I feel when she starts dating other guys. And then I'm probably going to call a halt to this thing because like society tells me that I'm supposed to be super angry. 
And then I just was like, when she first dated another dude, I asked all the details to tell me about the date. Tell me about the guy. Tell me about the sex. Tell me about all, all of it. Because in my head, it's always going to be the wildest porno ever. (laughs) If I don't know what's happening. And all I could really come up with at the end of, at the end of her telling me about it was I'm glad she had a good time and I'm glad she's home. Mm. And I was like, well, if me raging out is not a natural reaction to me, what other parts of masculinity, what other parts of mononormativity are fake, you know? So for me, it was, there was some, there was some unlearning after the fact, but the thing about it is like jealousy is a natural human reaction. It's not about not feeling jealousy. It's about figuring out what you want to do with that. Mm. Having the emotional literacy to not have it affect your behaviors. Mm. Sorry. I'm having trouble hearing. (laughs) Um, So like, when I felt jealous uh, of my wife or realistically any partner, I had to like stop and figure out how much of that is in my head. How much of that is a real concern? Am I scared mm. that she's going to leave me? Am I scared that like, you know, that she doesn't love me anymore? Mm. How much of that is real? How much of that is fake? And then I don't want to restrict my partner's uh, um, autonomy. I don't want to control them. But maybe there's something in our relationship that's missing that we should talk about. Mm. Maybe the thing that they're doing with this other partner that's making me feel away. Maybe that's something I want her to do with me as well, you Mm. know, and figuring that out and then processing that and then having like having like even even mannered conversations about it has been really useful. Like there are Mm. just times where like my wife's like, hey, I see you having so much fun with this other person. I want to have fun with you in that same way. Or I want to have fun, maybe with you, maybe with someone else, but I see the fun you're having and it's making me feel a way. And instead of telling you, stop having fun, let's you and I go have fun. Yeah. And that requires you to grow so much in your self-awareness and, and, you know, examine and analyze what you're feeling and what your reactions are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Really seriously, because like that's, um, it, like I said, it's not really a it's not really a reasonable ask to tell somebody stop doing these things. Like if you respect your partner's individuality, if you respect their, your partner's um, autonomy, then like instead of trying to say like stop doing this thing, just figure out why you feel this way. Like start asking yourself deeper questions. I know for me, I had like a mantra early on where I just tell myself this isn't about me. If my partner is going out and I feel a way about it, it's not about me. She's not trying to hurt me. She's not trying to make me jealous. If I feel jealous, that's something going on inside of here and not something that she's actively doing. So instead of punishing her, figure out what's going on with me mm. and then like bring it, bring it to her attention in a way that's productive and not in a way that's accusatory, you know? Yeah. I've actually been struggling with this. You're like, really, you're really hitting home for <laughs> yeah, me. I've been struggling with this just with a friendship of my partners. He's always, hang, you know, he's always hanging out doing business stuff with these guys. They're always yeah. having fun, always spending time, always coming up with new cool ideas. And when he ever gets home, I've been realizing lately that I feel so much resentment and like jealousy. And I do have this like urge to punish him and be like, 
stop hanging out with Kyle. <laughs> That's like in my initial you know, reaction. And then I was just thinking about it the other night being like, why am I upset about him coming home in a good mood? Why am I like upset about him being psyched to hang out with other people that aren't me? And it doesn't have anything to, you know, obviously this is not a romantic relationship, but I'm still feeling these same kind of feelings of jealousy. And what it's stemming from is one, my insecurity about, you know, is he does he think that I'm fun and two resentment about like, I don't have a space to have fun like he does, which isn't his problem. It's my, you know, it's, it's my issue that I have to sort through. Yeah. And like, maybe there's a place, maybe there's a place to compromise between how much he goes out and how much he spends time. But like it, but you don't get to that place of compromise. If you're yelling and screaming and saying, stop spending time with Kyle. Right. (laughs) I hate Kyle. Right. Yeah. No, not productive. (laughs) oh my god no it's so true i was like i have chills when you were talking kevin because just like you're saying becca it's so if anyone's listening to this and they're like you know non-monogamy is not for me whatever there's so much to take away from what you're talking about like it doesn't matter what type of relationship you're in and i love what you were saying about how we can glean from other versions of different relationships instead of just being like that one doesn't work for Mm -hmm. me so i don't want to hear anything about it it's like no like there's that's so impactful and important and just the intentionality of communication and focusing on what's going on with me Versus just always pushing that on a partner. I know. I got so mad at Gray the other day because he was talking about, he was going into a little, in my opinion, too much detail about a past relationship. And I got so, I got so angry and butthurt and, you know, was on the verge of tears. And now when you're saying this, I'm like, okay, what insecurity is that hitting for me? You know, what kind of self-consciousness was I feeling when he was talking about this person that he's no longer involved with, has absolutely no ties to and presumably rarely thinks about, you know, what is what is what is that what is that triggering in me? Yeah, I mean, it might have been like they had they they had the good time that you wish you were having right now, you know, and that could that could be enough. And you, you could just say like, hey. I felt a way when you were having that, you know, when you were talking about that, that, that ex-partner of yours, but really, I just like the thing that you were doing and with you and I were doing it. What are you doing this weekend? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I love Kevin, that. I'm going to need you to come over and, and <laughs> go in between my husband and I when we're having certain conversations. We're going to need you here. Okay, Beck, I think I, I think the last ad read I read for this company I actually, I started to cry in the ad read. I'm sorry. Oh, you have me hooked. Listen up. Moms, dads, grandparents, caretakers, nannies, and anyone else dealing with kiddos right now, I just want to say... AKA like everyone with a school-aged child. everyone, we see you and we feel you. There's no easy way to navigate the season of the world right now. And if you're suddenly taking on the role of teacher to the kiddos in your life as well, this is just one more thing to stress about. And I know I'm constantly worrying about whether or not I'm teaching my daughter the right things at the right way, the right time, if we're hitting all the right milestones, so much. Uh, To keep us on track, we are using Homer. We love Homer. Homer is the proven learn-to-read program for kids age two through eight. Amazing. Amazing. I've been seeing Ember's reading skills on the gram. I've been seeing it. So proud. Not only does Homer offer thousands of lessons on ABCs, phonics, sight words, and more, each lesson is kid-tested and designed by learning experts. Plus... 
It's proven to work. This is the biggest thing. Just 15 minutes a day of Homer reading has been shown to increase earlier reading scores by 74%. Hello, that's huge. huge. All parents want what's best for their children, of course. But this year, it just all looks different. But Homer's a great way to keep all kids learning and growing in a fun and engaging way so you can make the best of a less than ideal situation. And if you have more than one kiddo at home this school year, first of all, bless you. But second... Homer has you covered. One Homer subscription includes four customizable profiles that progress based on each child's specific interests and passions so that they can keep learning in the way that works best for them. Um, I'm so happy that there is an option for all uh, early readers going into this unconventional school year. I talked about this in the last last time I spoke about Homer. Homer changed everything for Mm -hmm. Ember. Um, Ember was really she was struggling she was struggling specifically with like her abcs with recognizing letters and before the covid times um her daycare teachers were very kind and very sweet but they would let me know that this was a struggle for Mm -hmm. her especially you know when you're looking at some of the other students and evan and i felt so lost like what are we supposed to do i'm not an expert at this i don't know um i she and ember was frustrated too and that was making me just break my heart um but we ended up finding out about Homer we downloaded it and I this is on my life we had Homer for about three to four days she went back to school the next week and when I picked her up her teachers were like what happened wow they couldn't even believe it and they continued to say this like weeks and weeks after they're like the change in Ember in her ability and Ember loved Homer so so much and she just she just got it all of a sudden things that we'd been working with her on that she couldn't understand, she got it, her she language. loves it. Oh, and it's just makes a mother's heart just so warm to see Ember confidently doing all this stuff. Uh, well, if that doesn't sell Homer, I don't know what I will. Mean, and I, I'll just say this, you truly have to download Homer and let your kiddos uh, try it out just to see how incredible it is. I can't even really explain it. It's just the best. Well, I'll just continue weeping over here. Go, in the <laughs> go check it out, brats. You just have to visit learnwithhomer.com slash chatty. You're going to get a free 60-day trial that, that may change your life, may or may not. Definitely uh, will. That's learnwithhomer.com slash chatty. You can start your free 60-day trial today. Learnwithhomer.com slash chatty. Okay, so I have a question about having kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, I mean, I'm thinking textbook, sex ed, all this stuff. Um, from most schooling perspectives, you're going to get a monogamous platform. Viewpoint. Uh, yeah, viewpoint. What what has it been like when you're teaching your kids that mom and dad are in this relationship? Or this yeah, and I'm guessing for them it was from since birth that they've been observing yeah. a different... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, my kids are young. My kids are ten and uh, ten and seven, and so like this is this is their norm. Mm-hmm. And explaining it was actually really easy. Kids are a blank slate. That mm-hmm. whole how am I going to explain this to my kids? That's fake. That's you know that's lazy. <laughs> um, a few years ago, uh, because of because of my the work on my interview series, I got spotlighted in a local newspaper, and. I was super excited about it. It was the first time that I had ever like appeared in print and I showed it to my daughter and she's like, why, why does anyone care about you? Why are you in a newspaper? <laughs> and I said, like, I was like, well, you know how I was like, you know how I love you? And, and she's like, yeah, well, you know how, when your sister was born, we love her, but still we love you. She's like, yeah, well, I love your mom. I love my girlfriend. And that makes our family a little bit different. And she's like, oh, okay, cool. But I love my family. I'm like, yeah. It's like, all right, cool. And then she went off and played. You know, mm-hmm. she picked 
stories and ran off. She got it. It didn't. It didn't take more than about thirty seconds to really break down non-monogamy because mm. it's not a difficult thing. And also, like we we live in a time where, like, I'm a black guy. I'm a black guy uh, with black parents, and that made me the diversity in elementary school because that was mm. that was the day back in like the seventies and eighties. Mm. Whereas my kids, they go to school with like. Um, with other kids who have queer parents, you know, mixed race sure. kids, kids. And so like my kids being black kids with black parents, they, they're not even like in the top five of the, on the inclusivity scale anymore. <laughs> so it's not such a strange thing when, you know, they've got another little black girl in class who's got two white dude parents. And, mm. you know, that's just not strange for them anymore. Mm. Their life is different than not mine did. Yeah. And that any of ours, I'm suing, and that's the great thing about things moving forward and things changing. I have questions about when we're talking about the ethics of non-monogamy, because we were chatting before we started recording, and how some of our encounters with non-monogamous people have not been great. And maybe the kind of the what people think of, what they assume when they think about non-monogamy. I was I was sharing with Jess how, you know, when I was 18, my friend was in a quote polyamorous relationship my first ex, you know encounter with this kind of relationship was was some guy reaching and putting his arm around me and putting his hand on my boob while we were watching a movie you know that's all it was obviously a non-consensual encounter and i don't think that that is representative of the non-monogamous community but we were kind of chatting about how sometimes people automatically think of this sort of like predatory trope of you know people always seeking out a threesome or whatever um, and maybe you could chat a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, like people, people suck just sort of in general, <laughs> like our natural yes. state of being and like people will use whatever angle they can to mm. continue. Mm. Um, like my wife and I are involved in our local kink community, her a lot more than I am. And there are people who will straight up use kink as an excuse for abuse, mm. you know? Um, I've seen people myself where they say like, oh, I'm polyamorous when really what they mean is they don't want to be accountable to any of their partners. They mm. want to sleep around without any real accountability to anybody, you know, and that's it's it's not OK. It's yeah. not OK. It, it, it damages all of us, not just from um, from like a representational standpoint, but also from like a real physical and like emotional and, tra- and trauma based standpoint. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I, I wish there were I, I, I wish I could say that the the ills of the monocentric world did not find themselves in the in the in the non-monogamous world, but they do. They mm-hmm. do. And like a lot of a lot of communities have to work really hard to keep abusers out, have to work mm-hmm. really hard to keep people uh, with like consent violations out and so on, you know, and. Not all of us. Are, I mean, and, and real talk, not all of us, even people who are who really value this stuff are going to get it perfect. Every one of us is going to be the bad guy in somebody's story, you know. Mm-hmm. So you've got to kind of figure out, like, who's doing work to do right and who's doing work to do right by community standards, who's do, uh, doing work to do right by the people in their lives mm-hmm. and who is just sort of disregarding boundaries or disregarding mm-hmm. consent or disregarding, you know, ethics in general. Mm. which like you're saying is an issue and like there are bad people everywhere there are people everywhere who are going to try to take advantage of other people and yeah abuse power and like 
like uh, with the with the book that I wrote, Let's Not Colorblind. Like I talk about how racism and white supremacy impact polyamorous communities, but realistically, like it's not a like Let's Not Colorblind is not a polyamory book. It's a sociology book that uses polyamory as a as as its basis, oh. where. Everything that I talk about, othering, fetishization, um, like white supremacy, white feminism, this is all things that just exist. I'm just talking about how they impact polyamory. You can read that book and figure out how they impact kink or swinging or uh, blues dancing, if that's your thing, or hiking communities or your mm. local D- Dungeons and Dragons group, you know, because like all these things play out pretty similarly, like across the board. How did you start writing this book and how did you decide that this is something that you needed to make or that, you know, the world needed to hear? When when did you write it also? So um, I wrote it um, throughout 2017 and I was like, I felt like when I when I found the local community, I felt like I was like a token black guy from mm-hmm. my local mm-hmm. community for like a year or two where I'd go to events because I wanted to, I wanted to engage in polyamory. I wanted to like be parts of communities, but I couldn't ignore the fact that like I was one of very few black people Mm -hmm. in, in the local Philadelphia area, which is a very black city. I'd find myself being like, it'd be like me and my wife and like one other black dude also named Kevin, who I'd see at these (laughs) events. I couldn't be quiet about it. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine, uh, Rebecca Hiles, who goes online by the name The Frisky Fairy, was like, Kev, you talk about this all the time. Maybe you should be speaking in educational spaces. And so I started doing that. And, pe- and it really resonated with folks where I'd mm-hmm. go to like sex ed conferences and find myself being the only person speaking about um, polyamory. Or I'd go to polyamory conferences and be the only person speaking about race. Mm-hmm. So like it just sort of, it was a, a topic it was a topic that's idea had come and I was just sort of at the forefront with like un, un, unknowingly unwittingly just ended up being the guy. Mm. Um, at some point it was suggested that I write a book about, uh, about this workshop that I had been doing um, around the country. And that's where love's not colorblind came up. Mm. What is what, when you were writing the book, um, were there like specific experiences that, you know, aside from necessarily you walking in and being potentially the only black person in that group, like were there experiences that you were having where you were hearing from, you know, the few other black people in the community? Was it, was it, were you hearing that? Was that circulating around? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because like, because we, we would, we would, locally we would speak to one another mm-hmm. um but more globally when i started speaking in educational spaces i'd get head nods from the other people of color the other black folks in the crowd mm-hmm. where i talk about a time where i got fetishized and there'd be somebody in the back who's like oh my god yeah that happened to me too mm-hmm. and then like someone else would be like yo it happened to me but this is how it happened mm-hmm. and then there'd be a white person in the crowd who would say oh my god i did that to somebody mm-hmm. and i didn't realize how terrible that was mm-hmm. you know the first few times I did, I did my race and polyamory workshop, there were tears because, um, because there were white folks who had harmed people of color in these really specific ways without realizing that that's what they had been doing the whole time. Mm. So once, once I got it in my head that, it, that, that my experiences weren't exclusive to me, 
that's when I started reaching out and getting other people's stories for, for the book. Like when you read the book, it's full of my stories, but it's full of other people's stories mm-hmm. about being fetishized or marginalized in some way, some other time when someone else was, was the token black person at an event. So just having that sort of validation, knowing that my experiences were more universal than I had initially thought, it, it made for it made for really great anecdotal evidence, but mm. then, you know, there's also a lot of like academic evidence that goes into that book as well. Sure. Mm-hmm. Was this a healing experience for you to write this book and sort of be joined together with other people? No, no, no. Um, a lot of the stories that I put into that book and a lot of the stories that I put into the workshops that I do are really personal and really hurtful, mm. especially, especially when I remember that like, for every instance of racism that I remember and talk about, there's probably a dozen that I forgot. Mm. Um, there, there are parts of Love's Not Colorblind that I actually actually cannot read anymore mm. because, like, since the book's writing or since the book's release, somebody harmed me in a way that I had already described a year or two ago mm-hmm. in this book. So, like, it's it's not a hard read for anybody but me. <laughs> um, like for me, like I actually can't go back and read it because some of that stuff is really hurtful. But yeah. for everybody else, actually, it, it's actually a fun ride, and I don't mind that at all. Hmm. Well, it's awesome that you can provide that for other people, you mm-hmm. know, and to feel like they're heard and seen because of your experiences. Does that felt? Did that feel scary to share some of these personal experiences with the world? Um. It. It felt like me being me. I'm I'm definitely a laugh to keep from crying kind of person. Mm-hmm. So like talking about my experiences is is how is how I get through a lot of it. Like I don't always feel better about it, but seeing people get value out of that stuff is really useful to me as well. Um, Alana Phelan, the one who I write the for hire books with, uh, she's like, yeah, I go to Kevin's uh, uh, race and polyamory workshop every time he gives it even though I've heard it like a dozen times before. And it's like, yay, Kevin's got a new story to tell. Oh no. <laughs> Kevin's got a new story to tell. Because like when you talk about when you when you make it a point to discuss uh racism and, and systemic oppression, you never stop running out of content. Mm. Um if I was to rewrite Love's Not Colorblind today, I could I could change every reference in that book to something that's happened in the last three years since I wrote it the first time because that's what uh, you know that's what uh, systemic oppression does like it never stops providing. Mm. Something that just like I said I'm about halfway through your book right now that was just that kind of hit me like a ton of bricks reading it is that I think there's this assumption. Right. As like as like a white woman, I'm like, oh, so a community like polyamory, it's like you said, it's it's mo- even though it's been around for for centuries, it's like it's modern, it's open, it's mm. accepting. It's inclusive by it's nature, inclusive by nature. Of course, of course, like that if the, if there's going to be a safe place for people who are people of color, like and, or, or inclusive in any way, it would be a community like that. And it was 
when I was reading your book and, and, and been processing through this, it's like, oh my goodness. And it's also then made me start thinking of so many other areas, even in my life that I participated in, that I'm like, oh, I just assume because it seems open that, yeah, we're including everyone and it's inclusive and whatever. And I'm like, oh my God, there's so much systemic racism just buried so deeply. In that assumption. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, that's just sort of, it, it's what life looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, especially like where if we're if we're in American society there's so many times where you think like this is fantastic and you see that it's like racially inclusive and then someone will say something completely transphobic and nobody around will challenge it and it's like oh mm. okay this place is racially okay but it's it's transphobic mm. as fuck what do we do now i just because all of those negative influences that we just have like there's no way to keep them out in 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 polyamory i'm I'm old enough to remember smoking sections in restaurants and airplanes. <laughs> that smoke's going to get into the non-smoking section, whether you want it to or not. Mm-hmm. And if someone described that as like having a peen and non-peen section of the pool, doesn't really. Sorry? <laughs> someone described that as like having a peen and a non-peen section of the pool. It doesn't really, doesn't <laughs> really work. <laughs> it's not very effective. Did you encounter like defensiveness or people that felt... Uh, felt like personally attacked by the the work that you've done with the book in the non-monogamous community have you uh, encountered any resistance within the community uh yeah almost almost exclusively from cisgender heterosexual white men sure almost exclusively mm-hmm. um when you when you have a society that caters to cisgender heterosexual white men anything that doesn't cater to white men feels like oppression to them like i'd point out like hey you're over you know you're you're disproportionately represented in politics and real estate and education and lawmaking and this and that and that and then you know, but like but also i want a black space for my polyamorous people they get really upset that they weren't represented disproportionately in that thing as well um anytime Anytime you don't center anybody who has any amount of social capital, they're going to feel that backlash. Sure. Because it's going to feel like a threat of power. Yeah, exactly. Like their power being threatened. And it's, it's not always the easiest conversation to have with people, but like, also I don't feel like I always have to have that conversation with people. Like, I don't always feel like I need to explain to every, to every, every white guy who has a chip on his shoulder. Like, I don't feel like I need to break it down and educate every single one. Like I actually get paid to educate people on a regular basis. I'm, you know, I'd rather expend that energy making safer and more inclusive spaces for black people who need them. Mm. Can I ask how you got involved in a community in the first place? I'm sure there will be a lot of people listening who are like, I'm interested in exploring Mm -hmm. non-monogamy. What the hell does it look like? How do I find out what that what that community looks like without just, you know, approaching people on the street? Excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I would have no idea even Mm -hmm. living in the greater L.A. area. How do you find a community? of like-minded people and also how have you created a community like you're talking about for specifically black non-monogamous people how does that look like how do you create community um like finding like for for us uh living in the philadelphia area we just went to like meetup.com we went up to meetup and said looked up polyamory oh wow and fa- yeah and, like we found that there had been a group for years um huh. 
not like about 20 minutes away from where my wife and I live. So we started going there on a monthly basis, getting to know people, listening to people, have conversations about their relationships, learning and networking. And next thing you know, like we're part of like several communities, um, several local communities uh, where, you know, it might just be people hosting potlucks or um, hosting hiking trips. I do movie nights, you know, yeah, where, one day I'll just be around thinking, you know what? I feel like watching The Last Dragon. I haven't seen The Last Dragon in a long time. I'm going to have a movie night where we're watching The Last Dragon and a couple other movies and then invite people over and like go to my uh, my my local polyamory Facebook group and say like, hey, I'm doing this thing. If anybody wants to come hang out. And now I've got 30, 40 people in my wow. house watching networking, you know? And that's also really cool to hear because I think maybe people not involved in a community like that, the automatic assumption might be like, if I'm going to a polyamorous meetup, is this going to look like a, you know, giant orgy? That might sound (laughs) ignorant, but I feel like a lot of people that might be the automatic assumption. Like, I don't know if I'm ready to get into like a sex party with 30 people, but like hanging out, watching a movie, having conversations with people sounds great and very approachable. Like, like my polyamory is particularly sexual, but I'll say that like, the non-sexual events outnumber the sexual ones mm. 10 to 1, you know? Really? Like, for, for every for every, for every every orgy that I actually end up attending, like, I end up going to more potlucks and happy hours and movie nights and discussion groups, you know? Mm. And, like, and also, like, the people who are not attending the non-sexual events don't get invites to the sexual events. Mm. You know, like you've got to find yourself in in a community. You've got to mark yourself as safe to people in communities because unsafe people, unsafe people are, are prevalent, you know? Mm. So just being able to like be vetted, going somewhere where people know you going establish trust. Yeah. Establish trust, establish, you know, a, a rapport. And then when there's a sexy event, maybe you get the invite then. Mm. Oh, that's very interesting. And then how are you also, I think that's just a great model to anybody. I think so many of us lack community, lack having a space where we can invite over like 15 or 20 people to watch a movie. How many people? I don't know very many people who have that form of community in their life. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty incredible. And and like it's not it's not as difficult as it sounds. Like a lot of it is just picking it, picking an activity that you want to do and inviting people to do it. Where my local community hadn't had any black exclusive or POC exclusive events in its history. Wow. And then um and then that Spike Lee movie, uh, that Spike Lee show came out. Um she's gotta have it. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna invite I'm gonna invite uh all the local um POC polyamorous to come over to my house and watch this. And we had about 20 or 30 people. A couple of relationships started that day, but we just hung out, ate food, watched TV, laughed, joked, talked shit. And that was, and that was enough, you know? Wow. Like hell, um, like uh, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. Mm. Um, when Black Panther came out, I bought 10 tickets myself and a few other people bought some other tickets, but we, for that opening Thursday night premiere, we ended up filming a couple of rows of uh, of a local movie theater. Just all of us going to see um, going to see Black Panther. I was going to go see Black Panther anyway. I ended up seeing that thing in the theaters four different times, <laughs> regardless. But making it into an event, you know, it made it makes the community stronger. And what you're modeling is just kind of taking initiative and just making it happen. 
I mean, because I yeah. asked like, oh, how are you creating this community? It's kind of just as simple as you inviting people to show up mm-hmm. and making yeah. it happen. Exactly. Like, it, I, you know, I didn't have to form a business, you know, I didn't have to like, you know, fill out any tax forms. I just, I went and did the thing I was going to do anyway and mm. told people. I'm- hmm. I really like that as just that a, model a good model to create community. It feels difficult. It feels yeah. unapproachable and it feels scary. I think that that's maybe the bigger fear of just putting yourself out there and, you know, no one showing up. That feeling of rejection, I think, is sort of the underlying fear for everyone. Like, what if no one wants to hang out with me? Meanwhile, like the 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 real the real worry is um what you had brought up before, like uh, bad actors, mm. where there have been times where I where I decided, you know, I'm going to host a movie night, and I put out a Facebook invite page, and then someone reached out to me and said, "Hey, Kev, there's somebody who who uh, who said he's coming to your event. Who's terrible? Mm. This mm. is why he's terrible. I've got to make sure that people know, like, you know, like I've got to cut this person out, and if I can't explain why." Mm. Because I don't want people to get harmed by somebody because I'm letting them in my house and they're meeting my people, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That definitely is a, is a major fear, I would imagine. Yeah. I feel like such a, a takeaway of, from all of this is just like communication, initiative, intentionality. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know, like I was saying, some I'm sure, you know, a large majority of people listening to this are in currently in monogamous relationships, but it's such, it's so wonderful to like talk to you and hear from you and be able to absorb like different ways of thinking that are like, this is helpful. Even if I decide I'm not going to be in a non-monogamous relationship and we really appreciate you coming on. And I know he said the book already, but can you please plug away? We're going to put it broads in the episode notes so that you can, that you can get it. It's an incredible book. I'm just, I'm as soon as we're done with this, I'm going to go and back into my house and finish it. If my child will give me the space. <laughs> uh, uh, that's love's not colorblind race and representation in polyamorous and other alternative communities. That's available um, as an audiobook, ebook, a paperback, basically anywhere books are sold. Um, what I will uh, and also like if anybody's interested, um, myself and Dr. Liz Powell, the author of Building Open Relationships, we teach classes. Oh, wow. We teach oh, wow. And we currently have um, a six a six class webinar available. Um, it's called Unfuck Your Polyamory. The easiest way to find it is bit.ly slash UY polyam. We'll put this in the the episode notes for sure. Then unfuck your polyamory. So is that like a, would that be a good starter point for people exploring non-monogamy or is this more for people who already have established non-monogamous relationships? Um, I'd say both, but it's definitely great. It's definitely great for starters in that the, the very first class in the series is a 101 class. Mm. But we also have classes about um, about consent and boundaries, mm. about different types of power dynamics, about metamors. Metamor being your partner's partner mm. and like how you interact with uh, how you interact with your your partner's other people or how you choose not to interact with your partner's other people. Hmm. I was going to ask about how are boundaries established and how do you, I mean, I'm sure that your class probably answers this, but I've always been curious because I know some people who have 
different types of non-monogamous relationships with very hard set boundaries. I know someone who has an, uh, they have an open relationship where they have rules about how many times you can see this person, whether or not the other person knows about and all that sort of thing that are established. And um, did that take a long time for you and your wife to figure out what the boundaries were and how your relationships were going to look like? The funny thing is like we had a lot more like rules and boundaries and stuff in place when we first started because we didn't really know what we were doing. Yeah. Um, and I'm not I'm not trying to like make a value judgment for it, but in a lot of cases, people put up rules and boundaries because they're trying to put a box around their insecurities mm-hmm. without actually confronting it. Mm-hmm. It's the difference between saying, like, I'm gonna figure out why I'm jealous versus I'm gonna tell you to stop doing that thing to make me jealous. Um Right now, like my wife and I, the only really rules we have in place is, you know, be safe and respectful and like, don't be an asshole. Whereas before we had like a series of rules Mm -hmm. and the longer we stayed in relationships, the more we realized like these rules are more about keeping me safe from my insecurities Mm -hmm. versus keeping the relationship safe and Mm -hmm. giving your relationship room to grow. And so like they just sort of all fell off one by one over the course of uh, 18 years. Everybody's got to do it their own way, though everybody's then love other people at the same time. And if that, if that's the case, like finding a way to navigate that, it can be a game of Tetris, but like it's, it's possible and people do it every day. Well, and I'm sure what you're talking about of the rules falling off over time, that sort of seems like a more natural progression of working through maybe those insecurities or those things in a box, like you're talking about that you don't want to have to work through. And I imagine that that's, yeah, sort of a natural thing to be like, okay, now I'm going to overcome this insecurity or this kind of thing slowly so that it's not all at once because that might be why some relationships why some relationships do dissolve because maybe it might be too much to try to overcome mm-hmm. within oneself at once. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And my my only fear are is that some people will set up rules without any intention to figure out sort of the underlying insecurities sure. and fears surrounding that but if but if that's the case like if if somebody's like you know what i'd rather not do this for a while just so i can figure out how i feel about it that's cool it's fair game do what you got to do protect yourself yeah absolutely well thank you again so much for coming on i thought this is an awesome conversation this is such a great conversation i know it's going to answer so many questions because we were always getting questions from people about polyamory i'm like i don't know a lot so i'm gonna have the right person on to talk about it we so appreciate it. Um, again, love is not colorblind. Also, Polly role models. I know you have your inclusive blog, um, and we'll also link that that series that you're, the webinar series you were talking about. Also, do you have any resources for online communities that people can be a part of? Uh, off the top, off the top of my head, like I always just tell people, like whatever city you ne- live nearby, go to Facebook and type in that city and polyamory and see what pops up, or um, or meetup.com. You can do the same thing there. Very cool, amazing, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. We so appreciate you. Yeah, thank you, thank you, and and I hope people find me. I'm I'm at Poly Role Model on Twitter, Instagram, and everywhere else. Really awesome. Well, Rods, I was, mean, that was great. That was so great. Yeah, we're not, we're not, we're not with Al. Can't <laughs> wait to I, tell our boyfriends and husbands. Can't wait to let Evan and Gray know that we are officially <laughs> part of the polyamory community. It, it was so, so interesting, though. Like, like I said, I know we've talked a little bit about 
I guess more, and I'm, I don't want to like butcher all like the I terminology. Know, we don't know very much. I know. I'm by Obviously, far. Kevin knows way more than we do. So please don't listen to us. <laughs> Definitely not an expert over here. He also said, by the way, when uh, once we finished recording, he said, if people have any like specific questions that are not in our wheelhouse, please feel free to volley them at him. Yes. And his uh, Instagram, again, we'll include this in the episode notes, but it's at Polly Role Models. Um, yeah, he said, go ahead and send questions, which is so generous. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'll include his, his Venmo too. So if we're going to be Brodsby using him, him, whoa, using him as a resource a bunch, you know, maybe pay, pay the person doing free work (laughs) for you. Um, but yeah, so it's so interesting because I guess a lot of what I had heard about was more, I, it, a form of open, that you mentioned or, or later in the episode um, about people who it's just mostly just sexual. You're not sharing with the other partner info about, um, you know, who you're sleeping with. Sometimes it's just like, hey, you can only sleep with that person one time. Right. There's no it's, communication. It's sort of like an off the cuff outlet in case you want to fuck other people so that you don't feel trapped in the relationship. Exactly. Kind of exactly. So I hadn't really like heard from someone who's especially been in a polyamorous relationship or polyamorous relationships for so long um (laughs) and with the same uh the same partner too Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. throughout that whole time it is so interesting to process because i know i keep mentioning this conversation with my mom but it was like haunting me for 24 hours um especially too because evan is such like you know, devil's advocate. Like he doesn't know a ton about non-monogamous relationships. Oh, but you put him in an argument. Suddenly he is the polyamory king. (laughs) We left my mom's house and I was like, I didn't know you were so passionate about this subject. Um, But, but after having this conversation and now talking, talking to to Kevin, um, the amount of communication that has to go into this. And self-processing. That was what, that's really what, this conversation with Kevin blew open for me was Mm -hmm. like, this doesn't even so it's just, he kept saying it and it just really kept hitting home for me. This is not about the other person or about what they're doing or about who they're doing it with. with. It's about you and how you're processing through Mm -hmm. these things that make you uncomfortable and getting to the root of why do they make me uncomfortable and why? Right. I mean, I, I was just thinking about like, how many I was yeah when you were talking about your situation with gray I'm like I was just (laughs) thinking about the hundreds of times especially when Evan and I were younger in our relationship where you know it would be something like there'd be in my opinion a flirtation or something where I then would just spiral out of control and there was never a moment where I was going hey Jess what is this revealing about you Mm mm-hmm he didn't what's going on with you yeah he didn't do anything he's not cheating and the fact of the matter is obviously we're talking about ethical non-monogamy here but even if he were to be cheating you step away from something like that and you you are ultimately who are you left with you're left with yourself Mm -hmm. all you have you have your own autonomy and that's it Mm -hmm. so it's like how am i going to process these things how am i how am i moving forward with that that was just so interesting to me because i feel like which, by the way, we also don't want to invalidate anyone's personal pain or hurt from being, 
you know, cheated on or that's oh, kind of thing. No, it's no, not, no. To, I just want to put in that little disclaimer. It's not like we're oh. saying like, oh, that's something that you just need to deal with. And that says a lot more about your insecurity. Obviously, that's a huge violation of trust. And oh my God, I don't think we were saying that, but I just wanted to no, put that oh, out no, there. And absolutely not. I mean, I've been cheated on before. I'm, I've come from a family of just constant cheating. I mean, it's bad. Sorry it's to, to out you, family, <laughs> but it's horrific. No, definitely don't do something not want that's it. happened in my family too. It's really painful. And that's a violation of trust. And that's a very different, I think, situation than what we're talking about here, where someone's being honest and communicative of, of what's course, going on. Of Very course. different than lying and of deceiving course. and all that. Yeah, sort of I thing. think it's just you know my brain, and this is like my my old programming. Like the brain goes there because that's where like what someone like again my mother would have that conversation, and her brain goes to cheating, and it's mm-hmm. like no, no, no. This is a consensual, communicative, ethical, really beautiful way of of like you said not only communicating with uh your partner or partners but also just revealing yourself yeah and what he was talking about too like obviously there are people who are who are not doing this work who are in these communities who are hurting people and all of that so or people who are consistently having dysfunctional relationships because that communication and self-awareness isn't happening. But I think what he specifically was talking about is just, we've said it over and over again, but a really great model. Um, Could you ever see yourself in a a non-monogamous relationship? Yeah, I mean, I've said this before, absolutely. I think that, yeah, yeah, I don't know. My mind is just really being blown about that self-examination because I always think, also think about the times where I got upset about like porn. And this is something I hear women talking about too. Mm -hmm. And again, you need to set the boundaries that you feel comfortable with. And I know Kevin was saying this too. If like, if there are things you are not comfortable with, that is 100% okay to set that boundary and say like- You can create your relationship. What what I took away a lot mm. of, you can create whatever type of relationship you fucking want. And you can't judge another person for the way that they create their relationship. Mm -hmm. Again, we're talking about, you know. uh, Consensual. Consensual relationships here. But yeah, it's this is not by no means is this, you know, uh, one size uh, fits all. You should do right, this or being like <laughs> all of us in monogamy fucking suck. Right. We're all stupid and right. our relationships aren't, you know, right. aren't. Yeah, I love how he kept saying it's like it's valid. It's valid. Mm-hmm. And you can do so much self work and examination in a monogamous relationship. Well, so what I was thinking about the porn is like the, the times where I have been really upset for whatever reason, because it's so interesting. I have totally ebbed and flowed in the same relationship and in other relationships of sometimes feeling really angry about like my partner watching porn Mm -hmm. or really hurt or whatever. And then other times totally whatever about it. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I feel different about the same thing is that it comes back to what I'm dealing with personally. Am I having, you know, uh, self image issues, body Mm -hmm. issues, feeling insecure because, you know, the person that I love is, looking with attraction to this person that doesn't look like me is that what is that what's hurting me is it hurting me because like kevin was saying i want to have fun with the person that i love in the way that Mm -hmm. you know maybe they're viewing somebody in porn having fun and that makes me hurt because Mm -hmm. i want to engage with him in the same way or whatever um yeah, it just makes me really examine those feelings that i've had and why and what is it really hitting for me that you know where why am i feeling hurt uh yeah it's just fantastic food for thought yeah so it's definitely a a good amount to process i i was thinking about like um 
again, like how mine and Evan's relationship was for many years. And there was so much jealousy on my end constantly, mm. nonstop, mm-hmm. overwhelming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's not anything that there was, no, there was no, like, it, it, there was no validation for my jealousy. There was nothing happening. It was, again, I'm coming from, you know, a home where there had been so much cheating in the family. And so I had these as- assumptions that whoever I'm with is automatically going to cheat with me. And then I've been cheating on, in a previous relationship. And it was just kind of like, I'm just gearing up for what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would say until I got to a place where I had to be like, okay, all that I can control is myself. And there is there is a chance that I could be in a relationship with someone and then they really hurt me. But all I can do day to day is is I can't control somebody else. Right. And that then eased the jealousy. And I would imagine in, in a situation like a polyamorous relationship, you know, when they're talking about this constant communication, it's like all that Kevin's saying is like, I can look at, my reaction to certain things. Um, and, you know, then with Evan and my relationship, as soon as I started to look just purely at myself and process that in a lot of our dynamic, we got to a place where I'm like, okay, now I've seen that I have needs, you know, uh, where, and I've talked about this a little bit before on the podcast, but like, I'm like, I need to know that I can go out and that I can flirt with people and that Evan's going to be okay with that. And we've communicated that in the relationship and um, to just even have that freedom. And I know I've talked to friends of mine who the reaction is just like, well, that's you're going down a dark spiral. <laughs> you know, and they've, they've, There's a lot that's of opinions a, yeah. and it's just flirting and there's already those opinions. So I can't imagine, you know, what some people in the non-monogamy community have to deal with with constant judgments. But um, just having that freedom has created a lot of safe space, weird safety in mm. our relationship mm. that was surprising to me because, yeah, and it wasn't even uh, yeah. something that Evan was like, I, Evan wasn't like, I need this, you know, and he even, though he wasn't the one that needed it, feels a safety that wasn't there. Yeah, because I, I think there's not like this boogeyman of like what's going to happen lurking in the shadows. Like if yeah. this kind of what Kevin was talking about too, like am I afraid she's going to leave me? If she's going to find someone she likes better than me. Is our relationship going to dissolve? I think those are all fears that we have in the back of our heads regardless of what our relationships look like. But being able to even like test that and see like, oh, like my wife is sleeping with other people and she still loves me and wants to be with me. I would imagine that there's actually like a extra level of security and sort of like having those experiences under your belt, you know? Totally. We have been in a relationship with other people and guess what? This is still the person that I want to share my bed with and share my home with Mm -hmm. and share my life with. And that's pretty, I think that's really, that's actually really special and sort of creates a sacredness of the relationship that maybe you don't see in other scenarios and I've never really thought about it that way yeah and I know I personally have had a lot of I mean I'm a very judge I'm by nature a very judgmental person we I judge. Am. it's what we do <laughs> I mean I am and and it's so I, I find it hilarious on social media and stuff where people are like you claim to not judge people and I'm like I'm pretty sure I've never said I don't judge people <laughs> like, that's never come out of my mouth <laughs> if, before if it has well I was lying because my nature is to judge <laughs> hard immediately upon meeting people judge everything that I see in front of me and I think I do believe it's human nature to judge um oh my god 
because in some scenarios it keeps us safe you know mm-hmm. we have to make we have to make snap judgments about who people people are so that we can set boundaries so that we protect ourselves but regardless i feel like i've a lot of made a lot of judgments about people who are non-monogamous and made assumptions about what their relationships look like and Same. make assumptions about you know stuff that even people were saying on on a post about sex toys of like oh well clearly your partner isn't enough for you so, like i guess your relationship isn't good enough because you gotta go yeah looking, sorry to hear about you gotta that. go looking for uh what would my mom say margarine uh, elsewhere because you're not getting enough butter at home you know like yeah but yeah i've made those assumptions before and so it really having this conversation has really reminded me of like you don't know what people are are you know doing Mm -hmm. in their personal life and you can't make assumptions about what people's relationships are like and they might be even more secure much more secure than than mine is you know so no that's beautiful and i think yeah i feel like the takeaway from this is that all relationships are valid. And I think it's really important to learn and grow from all different forms of all different relationships. Like, I feel like every year I get older, the more I'm just like, bitch, you better not stop learning and growing because you don't know shit, bitch. I, you know, asked me a couple years ago what I would have thought about certain things. And I'd be like, I have a drastically different opinion. So yeah, I think that's maturity is like, yeah, I think hopefully the older you get, the more you realize you don't know. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So anyways, I thought that was really great conversation. Hope you all enjoyed Kevin. Again, you can reach out, reach out if you have any questions uh, for him, which was very generous of him. Yes. And uh, I mean, we'll chat soon broads. Chat soon.